together and let's open them to the book of Genesis chapter 38. We'll be reading a few verses in Genesis chapter 38. This Sunday, beginning this Sunday and for a couple of weeks, we will have with us Brother Wade Bass. He'll be preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Tuesday night for a couple of weeks. And so it's a great opportunity to invite somebody to the house of God for these special services. We want to see people receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. What a great Sunday we had people were in the altar seeking God. We want to pray that that would continue. Amen. God's goodness and his greatness would continue upon us. Amen. If you have your Bible, say amen. Praise God. Genesis chapter 38. And it came to pass in the time of her travail. Her, it's not mentioned in the verses that we will be reading, but her is Tamar time of her travail that behold twins were in her womb and it came to pass when she travailed that one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread saying this came out first and it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold his brother came out and she said how hast thou broken forth this breach be upon thee, therefore his name was called Perez, Perez, and afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah, Perez and Zerah in chapter number 38. Regarding the twins born to a woman by the name of Tamar. I want to speak to you for a few moments tonight on forgotten twins. Forgotten twins. Lord, help us tonight. I pray that you would strengthen us from your word as we look into the pages of scripture. That you would allow us to make applicable responses from it to the present time that we are in and that you would strengthen us through your word in the house of God tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Forgotten twins. Perez and Zara don't usually steal the headlines when it comes to Scripture. Other notable twins take their place. Jacob and Esau. You'll find Jacob and Esau in children's Bibles, and there will be discussions and stories and Sunday school, a lot of Sunday school classes from the very earliest ages of development, even through some of the older ages of development. You will read and hear about those twins, Jacob and Esau, but you don't hear much about Perez and Zerah. Jacob we know about, the wheeling and dealing manipulator who becomes the father of Israel. We know about him and we know about Esau, the one who stumbles away the birthright. The birthright 
which means that he was the heir of his father's wealth. He was the firstborn. And in so doing, in ancient times, he would receive the wealth of his father simply by being the firstborn. But Esau, because of his undisciplined appetite for a bowl of soup, traded away his birthright. We know Jacob and Esau, but we don't know about the forgotten twins much by the name of Perez and Zerah. Though somewhat forgotten, they present the gospel clearly due to their origin and the meaning of their names. And so tonight's Bible study is to have a look at the forgotten twins, Perez and Zerah. This chapter in chapter 38 of Genesis is fascinating because it is inserted right in the middle of the story of Joseph. As if somehow the writer is inserting it in there. 37, Joseph is sold into slavery. 39, we find Joseph in Potiphar's house. <clears throat> but inserted in between 37 and 39 is chapter 38 with, with a story that reveals probably why it's not in children's Bibles and not much time is spent in Sunday school regarding this story. But tonight, we're going to go there. Right after Joseph is sold into slavery to the Midianites by his brothers, and the Midianites then sell Joseph to Potiphar, who was a captain of the guard, to Pharaoh. This chapter is born, and we have read some of its verses. At the beginning of chapter 38, tells us that Judah, Judah is the oldest son of Jacob, tells us that Judah married a woman named Shua. Is everybody listening? All right. Judah and Shua have three sons. The firstborn is named Ur, the second is named Onan, and the third is named Shelah. Three sons. This is the origin of the forgotten twins, and so we must discuss the origin of where they are brought forth. Judah, being a good father, finds a, a, a daughter, finds a wife for his firstborn, who is named Ur. Ur, the scripture tells us, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Doesn't tell us how, doesn't give us any details, just says that Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And so in ancient times, the safety net of wives who become widows and their families, they would have been secured by the brother in order to make sure that there was a safety net. 
It's not how things work nowadays, but in ancient times, this is how it worked. And it was the responsibility of the family to make sure the families were connected. And so Tamar is facing the loss of a husband by the name of Ur because Ur is wicked and God takes him. And so Judah comes to Onan and says to Onan, it is your responsibility to raise up descendants. King James Version calls it seed, but it's descendants. Raise up descendants to your brother Ur because this is the right thing to do. And so Judah makes that arrangement with Onan. But you can see some of the dysfunction that goes back even between Cain and Abel where there is a disturbance, a discrepancy, a jealousy, an envy, an anger. The fall has created all kinds of insecurities. And we see that borne out in the story of Cain and Abel. It's borne out here because Onan takes Tamar as his wife, but he doesn't want to raise up any descendants to his brother. And it is said very specifically that this is not something that he desired. It's not something that he wanted because he recognized these would not be my children, even though biologically they would be his children. But because his father told him it is for the firstborn, Ur, that you are raising up descendants, he didn't like this. It displeased him. And so the scripture said that he refused to impregnate her. And his choice and the way that he did it and his methodology was, according to the scripture, he spilled his seed on the ground, which is just a way of illustrating to us he refused to impregnate her because he didn't want to raise up descendants to his older brother. This displeased God, and so God killed also Onan. And so Judah is now in a fix because his two eldest sons have both been taken out by God because of their wickedness. And Tamar is still disenfranchised widow with nowhere to turn and no safety net. And so Judah says to Tamar, there is one other son by the name of Shelah, but he is not of age yet. He's not old enough. He's not mature enough yet to take on the responsibility. And so he tells her, go to your father's house. And when Shelah comes of age, he will take you to marriage and then you will be married to him and you will have descendants and God will bless you. Well, time passes and Judah finds his own wife passing away. Shua dies and is passed away and it has been a, a long time. Tamar is still waiting for the promise of Judah that she would have Shelah as her husband. And things are not happening. And in the process of time, nothing is transpiring and nothing is taking place. And Judah is not fulfilling his obligation. And so it happens that Judah makes his way up to the sheep shearers in Timnath. He's going up with the sheep. He's going with his friend. Hira the Adulamite, and they're going up to the sheep shears. It is told to Tamar that Judah is making his way up to the sheep shears. Things have not transpired. Things have not happened as is promised to her. And so she puts away her widow's garments that identified her. 
and she covered herself with a veil. She wrapped herself. She positioned herself in an open place because she recognized nothing is happening. Shelah is grown. I am not being given to him as his wife. Judah is not being responsible to what he promised. And so Judah, as he's making his way to the sheep shears, he sees what he thinks on the side of a road. He thinks that this is a prostitute because she had covered her face. He does not recognize that that is his daughter-in-law. But because she is concealed and because she is positioned in such a way, he makes the assumption that she is a prostitute. And so he turns to her and he says, let me come in unto you. He wants to arrange a sexual transaction. And so she responds to him very wisely. She says, what is going to be the price of the sexual transaction? What are you going to give me? He said, well, I will give you a kid from the flock. She said, well, the sexual transaction and activity is going to take place, but it's going to take a while to get the kid from the flock. So how do I know what kind of surety do I have that you are actually going to do as you say? And so Judah recognized that she was asking something of him. And so he asked her, what is it that you want me to give to you? And she said, this will be the pledge. I want your signet, which was a seal. The seal was the identity of Judah whenever he signed any kind of ancient document. I want your cord or your bracelet. The cord was something that binds your seal and the cord. And I want your staff, the staff which represents the authority and power of the identity of the one that had the ability to bind contractually. And so the sexual transaction and activity takes place. She goes her way. She puts the veil from her. She puts back on her garments of widowhood. And Judah sends the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand. But when he gets to the road, she's not there. And so his friend, the Adulamite, comes back and says to him, I, I can't find her. She is not there. Uh, there she, he asks people at the crossing in the road, where was the prostitute that was right here at this place? And they said to him, there was no prostitute here at this particular place. And so the friend, the Adulamite, goes back to Judah, and Judah says, uh, well, lest we look like fools, we'll just, we'll just act as if this never happened. Well, three months transpires. And in three months, it becomes very apparent that Tamar is pregnant, and she is pregnant by her father-in-law, Judah. This is one of the reasons why... <laughs> It's not in children's Bibles, okay? <laughs> Jacob and Esau, a little easier to teach children coming up Sunday school. This particular story, not so much. It's very apparent now that Tamar is pregnant. And so when the word gets back to Judah that Tamar is pregnant and that she has played the whore, Judah becomes very angry and very upset, and he says, bring her out and let her be burnt with fire. 
And Tamar says to her father-in-law, very wisely, she does not accuse him. She is in a patriarchal society, which if she stands up for herself and accuses, this, this would not work out well. So what she does is very wise. She just simply says, the man whose signet and bracelets and staff, the man whose these are is the father of the child. Judah has to acknowledge and recognize this. And he says in this process, she is more righteous than I, because I gave her not to shell up my son, and he knew her again no more. The irony, what one of the ironies that are, that's found in chapter number 38 is in the story of Joseph, when the brothers are trying to figure out what to do with Joseph, it is Judah that says, we can't kill him. This would kill our father. So let's take, let's take a kid from the flock and kill it and spread the blood on his garments. And in that way, he deceived his father. But here in this case, it's by the kid of a goat from the flock that Tamar deceives Judah. If you live by deception, you're going to reap deception. And so this is one of the ironies that comes out in this passage of scripture. So Tamar gives birth. We read it as a text. She gives birth to twins, the forgotten twins. She gives birth to two of them. As she is giving birth, an arm comes out, and the midwife ties a string, and that should be the firstborn. But the arm disappears, and another one breaks forth or breaches forth, and so they are named in the scripture. Names have identity more than they do today. The names of scriptural uh, characters have a lot to do with who they are and the positioning that God has them in his timing in history. Perez is known as the breach or the breakout or the breakthrough. And so his name means the breakthrough. Zerah, it means the bright, the dawn or rising or like the sun rising. So the rising, the sun rising, the dawn. And so we have two twins and a significance attached to their birth that is brought to us in this particular chapter. And in these two twins, the gospel is clearly elucidated and defined and given to us. Because what the world really looks for is a Zara. The world looks for a king that rises and shines like the dawning of the sun. A firstborn with the mark of power and authority on his fist. This is what the world looks for. This is humanity's temptation to gravitate toward. Somebody with power, the rising. Somebody with success. Somebody with authority, somebody with status and ability and talent and all the attributes that we would pick based on human intuition and desire. This is what 
This is what Zerah represents, represents the rising. And yet God looks for the person of the breach, not the one that we would choose. In our eyes, that would be the weaker choice. It would be the younger without seeming power, without success, without the authority, without the status, without the ability, without the talent, those who seemingly don't fit the office of kingship, yet they become what everybody is looking for because God breaks through on their behalf. Everybody else is looking for the tallest, think King Saul, and yet it is a shepherd boy, King David. Everybody has their Zerah. They're looking for the rising, the dawn rising, the sun that's coming up, but God's looking for the one that can break through and breathe through what everybody else is looking for and say I can use them not because they're talented not because they're successful but because there is a breakthrough in their life and this is what makes them unique this this ladies and gentlemen is the gospel the plot line is built right into the scripture. The rising looks impressive, but it gives way to the breakthrough that doesn't look as impressive. The Tower of Babel becomes the rising, human rising, to make a name and by human ingenuity thwart any divine judgment. And it crumbles to God calling an elderly man and woman by the name of Abraham and Sarah that's in a tent and they're still trusting in God and they don't think there's any way that God will ever break through to make them the father of many nations. But it's not by human ingenuity. It's by the hand of God. And when God makes a promise, it doesn't matter, Abraham, that you're older in years. When I promise something to you, there's going to be a breakthrough that happens you're going to be a father of many nations the inheritance if you look at the scripture the inheritance doesn't go to Cain it goes to Seth it doesn't go to Ishmael it goes to Isaac it doesn't go to Esau it goes to Jacob it doesn't go to Reuben. It goes to Judah. Everybody's looking for the first. The hand that comes out is a Zerah. But God is interested in the breach and the breakthrough of a Perez. This is the gospel message. You may not have talents and abilities and success and authority and financial means. God's not interested in all of those things. What he's interested in is a breach that breaks in and defeats the imagination when everybody else is saying that would be a good pick God would say nope that's not it they've got problems and difficulties but I'm looking for somebody that makes a breakthrough in what seems like the abnormal he breaks through I mean look even in King David's life there are Zeras everywhere he's overlooked He's got seven older brothers that look impressive. And Samuel says, 
These seven are not it. Is there another one? Yeah, there's one. He's tending the father's sheep, and his name is David. He's but a ruddy child. But God said, that's exactly what I'm looking for. That's the anointing I'm on because that's the breach. That's the breakthrough. There's all kinds of Zeres in David's life. Saul stands what? He stands head and shoulders above everybody else. He's a Zerah. He's the best king. He's the, he's the tallest. He's the best looking. And he's also the most immoral. And he's the one that also has the most problems. And he's also the one that can't follow instructions. And he's rebellious and he doesn't listen to the man of God. He's a Zerah, all right, but it's a wrong pick. God's got the right pick. He's looking for the one that can bring a breakthrough in Israel. There's a Goliath. He's nine feet tall. He's a Zerah. Looks like there is victory in his hand before he even steps out to fight. But there's a breakthrough coming by the name of David who bends down and picks up five smooth stones and says you come to me with sword and a shield and everybody else is afraid of you and you look like a Zara, the sun that is rising but there's a breakthrough that's coming down through this valley of Elah and God is going to do a great through and breach through the Philistines and give victory to the children of Israel this is the gospel message Gotten twins. He overcomes by a breakthrough. This is so ingrained in David's thinking that he actually names things after Perez, the breakthrough. Let me give you just a couple of examples. In 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 18, the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephraim, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thy hand. David came to Baal-perazim. And David smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. This is a Perez place. Because God has broken forth. There is a breakthrough. When the enemy arrayed itself against me, there was a breakthrough. God put a breach in the middle of the Philistine camp. And he did a victorious thing among us. In 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 1, just a chapter later, David is trying to get the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He gathers choice men. 30,000. He brings all the people from Judah to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. And they start moving the ark of God on a cart. And they bring it out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, they're driving this cart. And along the way, the cart starts to shake and the ark appears as if it's going to fall. Uzzah stretched forth his hand and God smites him for his error because they're not supposed to be taking the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. The priests are supposed to carry it on their shoulders. David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah. God has broken out against Uzzah. David recognized it's not what looks really, really, really attractive. 
it's, it's not in the talents and the abilities. It's, it's not all in the trappings of what humanity will look at and, and think and say to themselves. This is going to be a powerful individual for God. David recognizes What's going to be powerful is a breach or a breakthrough of God's anointing and his power and his ability. I'm preaching to you here tonight. If you've got talent and ability, you need to recognize it's not my talent and it's not my ability that's really going to do the work. I'm going to put my hand to the plow and do the best that I can with my talents and abilities, but it's not built up just in talents and abilities. It's built in the anointing of God breaking through. I guarantee you that there are places in this world where there's not much talent and not much ability, but there's powerful moves of God. You know why? Because there are individuals that understand if anything is going to get done, it's going to get done with the anointing and the power of God that breaks through the hand of the enemy, that breaks through strongholds of cities and countries. I may not be able to be the rising star, but I'm a child of God, and a child of God understands and recognizes it's a breakthrough that is necessary. If you're facing things in life, you're not going to conquer it by your talents and by your abilities and by your money and by your pedigree. You're going to conquer it with a breakthrough of the Holy Ghost. God, praise God, praise God, praise God. If you're facing circumstances in your life, I'm preaching to you tonight, you need a breach in that. You need a breakthrough in that. And it's not going to be the things that the world thinks will be successful. What's going to be successful is the mighty hand of God. Moses can't speak. Who would choose him? <laughs> You're going to send that guy to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and confront Pharaoh? Ha! Abraham is old. Jericho's walls are too high. The Hebrew children are under too much pressure. Daniel is no match for lions. Gideon has little courage and few men. Jonathan and his armor bearer are only two guys against odds, and they have to go uphill. What we think will be powerful, the rising image of conquest, is never realized, and the breach comes through what seems less, but with the power of God's anointing. This is the gospel message, and God's doing the same thing with you and with me, because the scripture says, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you're justified, you're sanctified. The world may look at you and say, there's nothing there, but God looks at you and says, that's anointed man of God. That's an anointed woman of God. That's a breakthrough. That's a breach right there that can do great things. Come on, we need to thank God and praise him that he didn't look at what we've brought to the table, but he said, I can, I can break through in your world. Praise God. I'm concluding tonight. We need the power of God to break through some. You know, I am not dumb enough to believe that you can't get counsel from good people that can help. I understand that and recognize, and I'm never, I'm never, Lord help me, 
am going to say something stupid over across the pulpit that causes people to get all befuddled and bumfuzzled and question what I'm even saying. There are people that can counsel and help, and in many cases, it is needed and what have you. But I'll tell you this. Just like when you face a physical circumstance in your life, you first don't run directly to the doctor. What you do first <laughs> is you find a place of prayer and you say, God, I'm, I'm going to stretch my faith out here. I don't know what's going on, but I know this. You're the great physician. They're practicing physicians, but you're the great physician. You have all power in your hands. And you created me, and you understand and know, so I'm, I'm putting my faith before you. You stretch your faith out there, and you trust in God, and you believe in God, and you pray. And then there are moments when you have to go to a doctor. But first of all, your first priority is to pray about it, see God about it. Praise God and let God know, okay? You've given people the ability and education to work on my body and my life, but ultimately they can't touch my soul, and so that makes you more supreme than any doctor or physician because you can save me, not only heal me. And so I'm praying about it first. And then there are moments and occasions where you need medical attention and the help of technology and medicine. The same thing is true in that discussion as it relates to this message that I am preaching to you tonight about the gospel. Our priority should be built around praying and seeking God. Praise God. And so I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to utilize the things that, that might be helpful, but those things are the rising. Those, those are things like, those, those are things that the world would put all of, of their time and attention investments in and would ignore the answer of the breakthrough, the Perez that breaks through, which is the anointing in the hand of God. And, and this is something that really, really needs to establish, and so I need to back up and make sure that I hit this right. You, you can, if you're going through problems and you're, you're facing difficulties in relationships and if you've got stuff that's troubling your mind and difficulties and you need somebody to talk to, talk to somebody that's Christian-based. Just don't go secular to somebody because that's the rising in the world. Oh, that's where you get your answers. That's where you should go. All right? Find somebody that's Christian and ministry-based. But first and foremost, the thing that's really going to help you above and beyond the counsel that you receive is the breakthrough and the anointing of God. I'm convinced that when you get in an altar and the Holy Ghost starts empowering and strengthening your world and strengthening your life, you're going to be much better off than rather than running to the rising, running to what the world is looking for. Instead, I'm running to the house of God. I'm running to the anointing of God. I'm running to the presence of God. I need the Holy Ghost to work in my life. What's going to bust through the problem? What's going to tear down the wall? A breach called a breakthrough. A Perez. A Perez. Not a Zara. The forgotten twins. The forgotten twins. Brother McCouch, if you'd come, just give me something. Praise God, you can be seated for a moment. <laughs> the forgotten twins. 
the Perez and the Zerah. Did you know in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 1, there's only one name in the genealogy that is not a direct descendant. As you know, he starts by naming all the direct descendants because he wants to make sure that there's an established line from Judah, which was the royal bloodline of kings. And he wants to make a connection that the royal bloodline of kings terminates in Jesus Christ because ultimately he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And so Matthew is setting up his gospel to make that point right at the beginning, just so that you know, just so that you know. Everything else I'm saying after chapter one, just so that you know, he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. <laughs> and so he begins his gospel the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas, or Judah, begat Perez. Perez. Perez is in the direct bloodline. And Sarah. Sarah was supposed to be the firstborn. His hand came out and they tied a string around it. But something else made a breakthrough. And in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the writer wants to make a point that it's not in the Zeras. It's in the Perez. You're looking for a king with a rod iron and riding a white horse and he's powerful and he's going to throw off all kinds of foreign domination. But he's not coming like a Zara. He's coming like a Perez. He's going to come riding in on a donkey. He is the word that was made flesh. He had a humble beginning. He was born in a manger. People didn't even recognize or see him, but he was the God of the breakthrough. He didn't come in power and might that everybody was looking for. Hallelujah. But there was power and might in his hand and his ability as he preached the kingdoms of death, hell, and the grave and when everybody else missed it and didn't recognize it Jesus Christ stripped away the kings of death hell and the grave and said I'm a God of the breakthrough Jesus doesn't come like the one for which the world is looking humble origins oh but does he ever break through here is the irony. The irony is this. Through the breakthrough, he rises. His Zara, his rising is a Perez, meaning that it's through the breakthrough. That's where the rising is. See, the world looks at all the other things and says, oh, there's a rising here. Not if there's not a breakthrough. If there's not a breakthrough that brings about the rising, it's going to fall like a house of cards. If you got talents and you got abilities and you feel a, God of, a, a call of God on your life, recognize the same pattern of Jesus is what you need to be following, which is a breakthrough in my life that produces the rising. <laughs> 
You can't get to the rising because of who you are. You can't get to the rising just because of your talents. You can't get to the rising just because of the family you came from. You can't get to the rising just because you're smart and intelligent, just because you're good looking. You get to the rising of God's anointing and God's ability and revival when it comes to the breakthrough. And it's the breakthrough that elevates you above everybody. And Jesus Christ breaks through at Calvary and everybody missed it. The Zara moment happens through the breakthrough. I'm preaching here tonight. This church didn't, didn't get here because of a rising. It didn't get here. It might look like a rising, but it got here because of a breakthrough. It got here because of prayer warriors. It got here because the foundations of Bakersfield were shaken. Man, you all are blessed. You got everything. You got a nice church. You got these facilities. You got all this stuff. You got ministries and all this. This looks really good. This looks like a rising. The only way we get to the rising is through the breakthrough. I want God's anointing to break through. Breach every neighborhood. Every T-Rocket neighborhood. Breach it. Break through it. You know why that's so? It's so that God gets the glory. I said it's so that God gets the glory. Saul, you're never, you're not going to get there because you're not listening and you're not following the anointing of God and you're going to do your own thing. But there's a boy by the name of David that recognizes it's the hand of God in my life. Rising is a breakthrough, a breach in the walls of death, hell, and the grave. It's the forgotten twins that tell the story. It's not the one that was supposed to be the firstborn. It was the breach or the breakthrough, and his name was Perez. And it was so significant that he's named and it's described. It's not a Zara. It's not in the sun rising or the dawn. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, as we stand for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to not things that are that no flesh. That no flesh should glory in his presence. The breakthrough produces, this is really, really good spiritual leadership stuff. I hope every person that's in leadership and in ministry hears what I'm saying here tonight. It's the breakthrough that produces the rising. It's the anointing of God in your life that produces what everybody sees. Why, 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 why is that? Because the greatest temptation of any successful leadership and ministry is to think that you're the one that has created it. You didn't create it, God created it. And he's the one that gets the glory. 
He's the one that, he's the one that gets the glory. God, you're going to take these 12 ragtag disciples and you're going to change the world? <laughs> Paul and Silas are in a jail and they're going to sing and, and pray and that's going to help them get out of jail? Yes, because there's a breakthrough that's fixing to happen. There's an anointing of God that's coming. Zechariah recognized it in the Old Testament when he said, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The answer is not what you think is powerful or the rising, but it's in the breach or the breakthrough. Man, if you're facing stuff here tonight, the answer is going to be in a breach of that. You may have been struggling a long time and found yourself locked up in a situation that is not to your liking. You know what's going to change that? What's going to change that is a breakthrough. When everything is arrayed against you, what you need is a breakthrough. When the walls are too high and your back is against the wall, what you need is a breakthrough. When the prison cell has you trapped and sin is causing you to live among the tombs, what you need is a breakthrough. When you've spent all that you have and you're still sick, what you need is a breakthrough. When you can't get to where you need to be and it seems like nobody will help you, what you need is a breakthrough when you have nothing to sustain you what you need is a breakthrough when demonic oppression seems to steer you toward the tombs what you need is a breakthrough praise God, praise God and when you think that God is finished he saves the best for the last I've just described miracles of Jesus being the breach. Kingdoms of this world and in breaking a new kingdom, a kingdom of God that shatters every perception of what a world is. Praise God. The forgotten twins, Perez, the breakthrough of the breach, Zerah, the rising, the sun rising, the dawn and the light rising. Don't be looking for Zeras. Don't be looking for Zeras. Don't be pursuing Zeras. Pursue somebody that's a breakthrough. Pursue the breach. Pursue the breakthrough. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. There are things I'm praying about right now that I've been praying about. The only answer is going to be a breakthrough. I got this friend, I got that friend, those friends, all those friends, they're, they're, not, they're, they're, not, they're not the rising star, the shining star. They're, they're not the one that is able to come and liberate. The one that is able to come and liberate is going to do it through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost and the presence of God and the Spirit of God. And that's where your answer is going to come from. If you're facing circumstances in life, what you need is a breakthrough of the Holy Ghost that shatters every wall that is built that crushes every obstacle that stands between you and God that eliminates every attack and, and, and strategic uh, trajectory of the enemy what we need is a breakthrough of the Holy Ghost and as we lift our hands in the sanctuary tonight let's pray that there is a moving of God hallelujah that removes and breaks every yoke of bondage 
God, I thank you and praise you. I pray that you would elevate us to the level of the rising, the shining. Every, every, every area that looks good, it's going to happen because there's an altar somewhere. There's somebody praying somewhere. There's somebody seeking the anointing of God somewhere. Hallelujah, I feel the Holy Ghost. Why don't you step into the well just for a few moments tonight in conclusion and say, God, I, I need a breakthrough in my situation. I need a breakthrough in my spirit. I need a breakthrough on my job. I need a breakthrough in my relationships. I need a breakthrough in my finances.